Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you'll find several speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Kerry. Hi, everybody. I'm honestly super thrilled to speak just for this gigantic bottle of water, <laughs> which is cold. Um, hi, I'm Carrie. I am a compulsive overeater. Um, I am also a compulsive dieter. Um, I am an exercise bulimic. Um, tried throwing up, didn't really stick. Uh, tried anorexia, also didn't really stick, but I was enthusiastic about both for a minute um, <laughs> until I lost interest um, and moved back to my favorites, which are just craving and binging. So anyway, there you go. Um, uh, I feel like I have always had this disease. I don't remember a time when um, I didn't collect food, think about food a lot. Um, kind of, I don't remember if I knew the magical effects of food to deaden my soul, um, but I knew that I needed it, and I needed it on a very regular basis. Um, I don't know if I knew what life was like without food because I always had food. So it was, you know, when I first came in here, I thought, um, you know, I don't really have these emotions that everyone's talking about, like a little sociopath. Um, and I thought, and I thought, like, oh, I'm going to write this four step about resentment, but I don't really have any resentments, and I don't really have any fears, and you know, my sex inventory is lar- largely theoretical. <laughs> so, so it's kind of like I don't quite know what I'm maybe writing about. Um, and lo and behold, in the third step, you know, my food started to be removed, and I found I did have quite a lovely collection of resentments and fears and, you know, sex things and all kinds of fun stuff um, to put on those inventories. Um, you know, which, you know, I think, like, looking back, I, I came in here and people were all having emotions in public and, um, like, touching each other and, like, you know, praying and stuff, but it was all fascinating. Like, I had gone to some foreign planet. It was very interesting and was not really part of my experience up to that point in my life. Um, I was probably, like, 26, 27, something like that. 26, probably, when I came here. Maybe 27. The math gets mysterious. Um, So I've been in for about 16 years, and I have 15 years of abstinence. So um, that, and, and abstinence for me, just to, you know, be clear is that I don't compulsively overeat, um, which also includes, you know, I don't ever diet. I don't compulsively exercise. Um, I don't attempt to get rid of food in any way, whether it's exercise or puking or laxatives or any of the other exciting things I learned about from you people. Um, so I don't get to do any of those because I never did them before. It's not like I have a past and I'll try all of them. Um, I don't I don't diet ever. I don't um, I don't get to graze kind of constantly throughout the day, and I don't get to binge. Um, which, you know, for that first year of abstinence, um, or first year of not abstinence, um, was the point. Like, in retrospect, I think the first year I was in here and not abstinent was me coming to understand that I was powerless and deciding I wanted what you all had, um, which was to live without food. Um, which, you know, it took me a year to make that decision because I really, really, really just wanted to be able to eat a lot all the time and be skinny. That was, that was my plan. You people did not have that solution for me. Um, not a lot of curse, which I'm feeling very restricted by right now. Um, 
because my higher power and I have a very curse-related relationship. Like, I curse in my higher power a lot. That's how we talk. Um, so, anyway, so in case anyone is unclear about, like, whether, you know, how, how if there are rules about how we relate to our higher power in here, there are certainly not. Um, so, you know, I, that first year in here, um, you know, I got, to, I got to find out that I really wanted to stop eating, and I got to find out that I really couldn't. Um, and it was only in here that I could make that realization um, because it was only in here that I, I kind of, it's like I had this last burst of will where I was like, I am going to go on the diet and I am going to do, you know, in my, it was like whatever my um, plan of eating was. Plan of eating is an awesome tool, but it doesn't, that it's an awesome tool doesn't mean that I can use it as a compulsive eater. That ability to use the plan of eating for me was a gift of grace, period. Um, I had an awesome plan of eating. I had a few of them in that first year, and um, I could no more follow them than I could any other sensible or completely unsensible plan <laughs> that I had tried before then. Um, the stuff I always forget. So I, um, my top weight's probably 50 pounds heavier than I am now. My bottom weight is probably 5 to 10 pounds heavier than I am now. Um, and that was on a diet all the time, exercising all the time. So I was not a very good dieter or exerciser, clearly. The binge is always one. Um, so then when I came in here, I had an idea of kind of, uh, if someone had said, like, what's your goal weight? What do you think your body should be? Um, I would have probably picked a size bigger than I am now um, because I thought that would be all that was possible. And I think I would have, uh, I, I would have picked a life which was a chronic diet, and I would have picked um, a whole bunch, a lot of exercise to maintain the body size that I hoped to be. My experience of OA is that um, this body remains the same regardless of whether or not I exercise. Um, you know, for me, I eat all foods in moderation. Um, there's some things that I, you know, in abstinence, I'm like, oh, it turns out I think this is disgusting. <laughs> like, some foods that used to be big old super fun go-tos, I'm like, hmm, actually it tastes like tar. Um, so, you know, there are things that I don't so much eat, but I can. I'm free to eat them. Um, my first sponsor, um, I think I only had her for a few months. I don't really remember, to be perfectly honest, because time shifts into this weird, like, warp speed when I was newly abstinent, so I can't, I can't place, like, how long. It seems like I was not absent in here for 45 years, but in fact, it was just about one calendar year. Um, my first sponsor, I had her for probably a few months. I, I don't honestly remember why I picked her, because she was a lady, and she was a sponsor. I think that was about the depth of it. Um, and then that relationship, I think she left the program. I'm not entirely sure, but that relationship um, kind of fell apart. And then I didn't have a sponsor for a while, again, mysterious quantity of time. Um, and I got a guy anorexic to be my sponsor. So he made it really clear really early on that he couldn't really be a food sponsor for me because he had no idea what my problems were and couldn't really offer any service for that. Um, like, his goal was to eat more. Mine was not to. Um, so he kind of just was like, you know what? You need to talk to a higher power, which you're going to find through working the steps. And, um, yes, Siri. Um, <laughs> Siri, what is abstinence? Um, sorry. That's probably, sorry. 
that person's name is an outside issue. Anyway, um, so so anyway, so I I got this guy and he was like, um, I can't really talk to you about your life much because I'm a guy and I don't understand you, ladies. And um, so you know, basically, what I can do for you is we can work the steps the way I was taught how to work them, which was um, out of this blue book called Alcoholics Anonymous that we fondly refer to as the Big Book. Um, and what that meant is we started in the very beginning and the forward to the first edition. And, you know, we'd read through it. And, and before we before we talked every day on the phone, and it was pretty much every day on the phone for like an hour, that man was a dedicated sponsor. I am not that good a sponsor for anyone who was thinking of asking. Um, so, you know, we talked probably an hour every day, and, and we just we'd go through why are we doing this. Um, the point of this is to have a spiritual experience. Why do I want a spiritual experience? Because it gives me a complete psychic change. In other words, it shifts the way my mind functions enough that my solution does not have to be food, period. So that's why I work the 12 steps. Um, and it says in the forward to the first edition, it says, you know, um, that we are 100 seemingly hopeless, you know, alcoholics who have recovered, or we are 100 alcoholics who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, meaning um, seemingly hopeless, which means that I have no hope that this is going to work. And that is super important for me as a recovering compulsive eater because I don't ever have to believe this program will work for me. I don't have to. I need zero faith in this program. All I need to do is work the steps as outlined in that big book in the first 164 pages, which is, in my experience, a textbook of how to recover. It's a textbook of how to have a spiritual experience. That textbook leads me to not have to go to food. Um, so, you know, I came in with no belief that this program would work for me at all. Um, <laughs> this is great. I wish God was that clear. Um, so, so anyway, so, you know, I, I need to remind myself of that because there are times when, um, when I feel like nothing is working, when I feel like I'm just, like, running in place and, and I'm like, I'm headed that way because that seems like the right way. And I run and I get there. I'm like, no, actually, you're at a wall, so you have to walk back all the distance you just came and ran. You know, sometimes, like, life, like right now, life feels like that. Life right now feels like what in the hey diddle diddle am I doing and where in the hey diddle diddle am I going, you know? But the good news is I don't have to know the answer to that question and I don't have to, all I have to do is take action, period. Um, and I don't have to take action well, also super important, because I thought that I had to do, I was an excellent student in the world and um, that excellent studentness, like there were some things in here I could really do well as a student and some things I was like, I do not get this at all and it doesn't really make any sense to me and okay, I'll just do it really badly. Like my first fourth step took, meh. again, time is a mystery, but it took at least a year and a half. It's not, I feel like it took three years, but I don't know. Maybe it did take three years. It's a big mystery, but it, it took a long time um, and it didn't matter. You know, the truth was, like, I would start to suffer more. And I'm in another fourth step that also feels 
never ending, which I keep talking about because I'm like, if I keep talking about it, maybe one day it will go away. Um, or not. Maybe I'm just going to be a force that again for like a thousand years. That's what it feels like. Um, but again, I don't need the faith. All I need to do is like, oh, before I came in here, there's one more entry on my fourth step. And for anyone who's new, a fourth step is just like, I get to complain about what I think is wrong in the world. Um, you know, I just get to say like, what do I resent? Every person who is a jerk. You know, like every ideology, every group, every place, every everything that I think is just stupid. I get to talk about that a lot in writing. And then fear, like everything I'm afraid of. And again, I probably thought like, I didn't really think I had many fears because I was high all the time um, on food. And so I didn't really have many fears. I just was hungry. Um, and then I came in here, and as I did my resentment inventory, um, you know, I got to the fear section, and suddenly I literally was like, I can't go outside. It's scary out there. You know, I was like a quaking lunatic. Um, so I got to write a fear inventory. And, you know, I, I look back at that first inventory. It was in this gigantic book that is probably like two feet by. It was in some, I don't know why I picked this really huge book to write it in, but it was in a really big book. And um, sometimes the pen color would change because I'd get sick to death of like black ink or blue ink. I was like, these are ridiculous. I'm switching ink color. You know, I had a lot of moments. <laughs> and as I kind of worked through it, um, you know, miraculous things happened, which is that it actually worked. Um, I, would, I had fears of all kinds of stuff, like, um, you know, bugs, certain kinds of bugs, definitely touching certain kinds of bugs, which is an absurd thing one might think to write about in a spiritual program. But I maintain that it is very effective because um, now I'm the person who's like, oh, no, that spider's on the floor. Someone's going to squish it. I'll go pick it up with my bare hand and carry it outside and bring it to safety. Like, I have become that person. I've also become the person who sometimes is like, oh, no, I forgot to eat breakfast. Or, oh, I didn't eat lunch today. Or things like that, which is, you know, as a compulsive reader, like, I need to remember that because that's important. Um, but the point is that the craving most times has been removed so completely that, um, you know, things go bad in my refrigerator. Yes, one of those people. Um, or like I'll buy a thing at a place, you know, like a snacky kind of thing, and I eat a few pieces of that because, I, you know, I, my stomach is growling and I need food, and then I put it in the cabinet and, like, Three years later, I find it infested with moths or something equally disgusting. Um, and then, you know, it's like that, that is a miracle. Like, um, I can get, you know, entire um, items of something that would have been a grade A binge before I came in here, and um, I can eat a couple bites and the rest gets moldy. Um, that's amazing. Or I give it to people or whatever happens to it, the compost. Um, the point is, like, that that something has shifted in my mind so completely that um, I, I forget about food most of the time. Um, and there was not a minute I forgot about food before I came in here. There was not a minute I wasn't thinking about my body and how I should change it and what it should look like. And, you know, like if I had this surgery to move that part from here to there or take that part off or what if I, you know, like some other crazy thing. I almost, <laughs> I thought of this recently, like at some point I almost got a dog, not because I wanted a dog, but because I wanted to exercise more. And I thought a dog would be a great tool to force me to exercise. Not a great reason to get an animal. Um, so, you know, I did not get the dog. Lucky for that dog, the invisible dog. Um, but the point is, like, I tried so many things before I came in here to try to force myself to behave the way I thought I saw sane people behaving. Um, 
to try to act, to try to appear normal, you know, to try to like, I would stare at people when they were eating in restaurants and like, what are they eating? How much are they eating? And try to like, literally like an alien, like, I hear these people eat that thing, so I will eat that thing as well, um, and try to like moderate my food, and then I take everything to go and eat it all at home. Um, but you know, while I was out publicly, like I had been shamed a few times where I ate what I thought was the right amount, and people were like, <gasps> you know, in horror at my behavior. So I learned like, oh, my way of doing this apparently is not what other people consider normal. Note to self: hide behavior. Um, and so that's what I did. My life was a gigantic lie. Um, it was all about, like, how can I appear normal? You know, how can I try to seem like I'm one of you normal people? Um, I'm incognito. And, um, you know, as I, as I stayed in these rooms, um, you know, I, at a certain point, like, I, I realized I needed another program. And I'm not going to get into what that program is because it's irrelevant. But it's relevant to my abstinence because I started feeling like my need for a second program um, was taking me out in a way. I didn't have time to have, you know, I didn't have time to sponsor anyone anymore. I didn't really have time to work my steps. I didn't have time to get to as many meetings. I didn't have time, you know, blah, 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 blah. I was too busy, too busy. Other things were more important. And, um... I started realizing maybe three and a half, four years ago, at like 12 years of abstinence, I was like, oh, this is how people go out. Got it. So I now have a choice. I get to deepen my spiritual connection with a higher power through applying the 12 steps in another area of my life, or I get to lose my abstinence. And that it started feeling like that clear choice. And, um, you know, luckily I made the choice to continue my spiritual exploration um, and I get to remain abstinent today. Um, You know, but that, it was either that or kill myself. Like, with 12 years of abstinence, I'm like, either I'm going to die or I'm going to recover some more. Eeny, meeny, miny, mo. And that, you know... Sometimes you hear about people killing themselves in these rooms. Um, You know, if you stay around long enough, you definitely hear about people who um, go out and then they never come back and you hear they've died. Um, So this is is a deadly disease. It is a deadly disease. It's a a deforming and deadly disease, no matter which side of the scale you're going. no matter what your, you know, no matter what my, like, favorite application is, like, it can destroy my joints, it will destroy my stomach, it will destroy my teeth, it will destroy my fill-in-the-blank, it will kill my heart, I will die from this disease, it is deadly, and it is not a pleasant, socially acceptable form of death, um, if there are any. Um, so I get to remind myself, like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I come to these meetings and I have, like, a lot of fun people here and I have a great time and, like, and most of the time it's just, you know, it feels like maintenance. It's kind of like, oh, time to put gas in the car. No big deal. Um, but I, I occasionally need to be reminded, like, oh, I am on a life and death errand. That's what the big book tells me. I am on a life and death errand um, for myself and also when I pay a 12-step call to someone, um, you know, I, as someone who has this disease, I have the, the special gift of being able to, you know, it says in the big book, like, gain the confidence of other fellow sufferers very quickly. Um, and then because I have found the solution, because my sponsor gave it to me, which is working the 12 steps, coming to meetings, using the tools, all that stuff. But, again, tools, you know, I don't remember who said this, but 
tools are, it's not a 12-tool program, it's a 12-step program. I use tools to build steps. I can use a thousand tools, which I, incidentally, I did my first year. I used so many tools my first year, but I didn't have a sponsor and I wasn't working the steps and I didn't get abstinent. Um, in my experience, the only way to get and stay abstinent, I say this all the time, the only way to get and stay abstinent is to work the steps, period, end of story. Um, when I'm not doing that, I'm coasting. You know, I'm probably losing ground a little every minute of every day, but I can pretend that I'm kind of staying even. But, uh, you know, I need to be, that's why I come to meetings, honestly, because one, to carry the message to newcomers, because I need to remember how incredibly crappy it is to be suffering from this disease to motivate myself to do the somewhat occasionally irritating work of step work. Um, so I need to be motivated by seeing people suffering from this disease. Like, you know, at a certain point, we start carrying the message. When we're new, we carry the mess, which is like, life is terrible. You know, and that is equally important. If anyone's new and they feel like they shouldn't share it because they don't have anything recovered to say, that lack of recovery is also very important because it reminds me, like, oh, the steps work. That's right. I forgot. You know, because at, at 15 years of abstinence, it's like my last binge was a long time ago. I remember it. I remember it clearly. But I don't, I don't have that kind of emotional day-to-day -day understanding of the pain and suffering and horror of this disease. So newcomers help me remember what that's like. Um, and then I get to, you know, I get to come to meetings also to, like, you know, to carry the message, which is there's hope that one second at a time, I get to not compulsively eat. I get to not hate myself. I get to think I look pretty good most of the time. You know, and that was definitely not my understanding of myself and my body before here. Like, the era I grew up in, the location I grew up in, what God gave me was not popular. So nowadays, apparently, it's very popular, which is exciting. Oh, time. Um, but, you know, when I, was, when I was younger, it was like, I am wrong. God built me wrong. I'm a hideous beast. How did I get so hideous? And, you know, over time, it's like through recovery, through doing fourth steps on my thighs, my butt, my boobs, my armpits, my whatever. I don't really have problems with my armpits, but I made it up. Anyway, um, but through actually doing the work on that, I get to, um, I get to recover. So um, today, you know, I have a same relationship with food. Um, I have an emotional life, um, which... Sometimes it's super awesome. Sometimes I'd love to give back because sometimes emotions are less fun than they seem. Um, but generally speaking, I know now like, oh, in bad times, this stuff passes and things get better again. And then they get bad again. And then they get better again. And they get bad again. Oh, welcome to the world. Um, this program doesn't exempt me from life. People keep dying. Bad things keep happening. Good things also happen. People come into the world. Like, life continues whether I have a higher power or not. But... I am more able to weather the storms of life and weather the parties of life, because I can have problems with those as well, if I have a higher power in my life. And, you know, for anyone who's an atheist or an agnostic, God can stand for a group of dieters. <laughs> you know, it can be just these people who know better than I do. Um, God can, can be good orderly direction. It's just, oh, what seems like the, what would a sane person do next? Well, that's maybe what I'm going to do. It doesn't have to be a literal higher power thing if that's something anyone is struggling with. Um, and it still works because there have been times when I'm like, okay, God is a pile of BS. I will get rid of it now and have some other thing. And that's fine. It works. It works just as well. Um, so, uh, yeah, so I get an emotional life that I get to learn how to live with. Um, basically, I get to be a human, 
which is um, got a lot of richness to it, it turns out, you know. Um, there's a lot of, of depth to humanity that I didn't know before because I was high all the time. Um, and I get a spiritual life, which, you know, again, like, it involves a lot of cursing. Um, God and I have fights very regularly. Um, sometimes, like, I just want a refund for a whole year. I'm like, God, you did this year badly. Can I have a do-over, please? <laughs> but unfortunately, I haven't found that program yet to get the year back, so whatever. Um, and sometimes, you know, it's like, oh, I, I start to, <laughs> you know, I joke with some friends, like, I feel less and less like, like a sociopath every day that passes. <laughs> you know? I'm like, oh, I have feelings, and I, I see why people engage with other people like it turns out people are comforting you know <laughs> like hugging people feels good sometimes um you know stuff like that that I didn't necessarily grow up with like oh um you know I learned these things maybe some other people learned at birth and I didn't happen to but um awesome let's do some questions thanks for letting me share or we can all meditate awkwardly for 20 minutes <laughs> Oh yeah. So the question is about making amends, um, how things change with my family and my work. Um, the amends making process in this program is when I first came in, I think I well. When I first came in, I think I thought I had no amends to make. And then I thought I definitely had a lot of amends to make. And then I really wanted to make all the amends, mainly because I wanted to talk to ex-boyfriends I was no longer. <laughs> um, and, and luckily, my sponsor kept saying, like, you're not there yet. You don't know anything about the ninth step. Don't even think about it. Do nothing of the sort. Just be in the step you're in. So luckily, I listened. Um, and then, you know, eventually when I got to nine, I was like, no, I hate this step. I'm filled with dread. I don't want to do it. Um, because I realized I did have amends. And it just was, like, super scary to go and be honest with another person and admit that I was also human. How terribly uncomfortable. Um, but luckily, you know, the fourth step prepares me for that. Like, I get to, I talk about my resentments, I talk about my fear of sex inventory, and then I get to look at my part. And in between, you know, the third column, which is like, why does this affect me and what's my part? There are prayers. There are resentment prayers. There are fear prayers. There are sex prayers. I pray those prayers. And then in the fourth column, it becomes clearer what my part is. And for me, I break it down like, what's my part physically? What's my part emotionally? What's my part spiritually? Um, because they're always slightly different. Um, and then, you know, in six and seven, I, I, I'm like, oh, I have defects. Oh, so does everyone else. So apparently we're all just human. Hmm, that's kind of a relief. And then by the time I get to nine, I, I become human to a certain extent, and I realize that we're all just doing our best. Even when it's horrible, we are still all just doing our best. And so then when I go to make amends to other people, I mean, I think, like, there's some that, you know, stick out. Um, I had a, a boyfriend who, you know, maybe in retrospect, I maybe shouldn't have made amends to him because then he wanted to be back in contact, and I really didn't, and I may have re-injured him, but hindsight. Um, but I made an amends to him, and I told him I, I had always mocked his God, um, like, really horribly and cruelly mocked his, like, th this spiritual figure he believed in and the God he believed in um, and told him so in very clear terms that I thought he was stupid. Um, I was a charming person. Um, so I, I went back and I made amends to him and I apologized for, for doing that, for, you know, having opinions about his connection to his higher power. And um, he 
thought, he literally just looked at me and was like, so is there anything else you need to tell me? And I was like, um, no, you know, I think that's it. And he's like, oh, do you, do you have cancer? Are you dying? <laughs> he literally thought for me to make, to apologize to someone, I had to be dying. That's how much I didn't make apologies before I came into this program. So there you go. Um, and that's like, I remember going back to, I used to steal emergency exit signs. I don't know why. I was a teenager. They seemed fun. Um, and so with this collection of stolen emergency exit signs, like I got to call my high school and say like, hi, may I speak to your custodial department? I have stolen a lot of your emergency exit signs and I need to pay for them. And the people are like, um, okay, we don't have a department for that and there's no category in our spending sheets for that. So, uh, and they transferred me to the, um, the custodian guy who never called me back. So, you know, that's one of those like, okay, indirect amends. Like I, you know, I find, I don't remember how I did it, but like I donated money to some like building charity thing or like some safety whatever thing, you know, to make amends for that money that I had stolen by stealing these signs. Um, so mostly my experience with amends are that they're funny. Like, they're super duper funny because no one really knows what to do when you apologize for things you did and people get super awkward, which amuses me because I'm a horrible person. Um, so anyway, I'm not a horrible person, but it does amuse me when people get really uncomfortable sometimes. So, you know, I have a, and my mom, like my mom was one that I dreaded because I thought my fear was. I'm going to make amends, and we're going to become best friends. And she's going to call me, like, every three minutes and need to talk to me all the time, and I'm going to feel overwhelmed and want to die. So I was like, oh, I put that one off for years and years, and I had this perfect way I was going to do it in person, in an ideal moment. And, and just one day on the phone, I was like, Carrie, get it done. I was on the phone with her, and I was like, Mom, I'm blah, 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 men's amends, amends. And she was like, okay, dear, well, would you like to talk to your grandmother? We all did some bad things. <laughs> Click. <laughs> you know, it was like not at all. My fears were so not that, you know. And then after that, this weird thing happened where she released me. Like, it was almost like I had been so, so mean and kind of demeaning to her for years that um, it was like she was... She, she wanted me to like her or wanted me to not hate her because um, I thought I was better than her. And what happened was that once I apologized, um, it was like she was free. And so this weird thing happened where um, it was like she didn't need to ride in the car with me anymore. She's like, oh, go ride with your father in the other car. Like, I can't even explain it. It was like she was freed by the amends in a way that made our relationship lighter. Um, I'd been making living amends by not being a pain in the hiney. Um, for a while before then, like when I wanted to be a pain, I would go to the bathroom. I spent a lot of times in early recovery in bathrooms around my family because bathrooms, you shut the door and no one comes in because that would be creepy. So I spent a lot of times just like serenity prayer, serenity prayer, serenity prayer, like spot check inventory, like I resent my mother. Why do I resent? Blah, 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 going through it, going through it. So I could just shut my mouth and like not give her evil, like judgy scowls, you know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they've all been very, very, very different than I expected. I actually like my parents now. I go away with them sometimes three weeks at a time and enjoy their company. Usually there's, like, one day, like, two hours where I have to go back to the bathroom and pray a lot. But, like, generally speaking, I enjoy them, and I am grateful to them as people for the amazing job they did of raising me with the resources they had. Um, and that is a radical change from how I used to feel about them. So there's my long answer. Anyone else have questions? Can you talk about how you sponsor a 
Yes, excellent question. How do I sponsor and has that changed? Very much. Um, at first, what I sponsored, well, what I wanted as a sponsor was someone to be my best friend and for us to, thank you, attendance, for us to, like, hold hands and walk together on the beach and, you know, for me to tell my sponsor all my secrets and, you know, her to give me wise guidance and warm hugs or something like that, some very, like, like a Mass and Gill commercial. I'm sorry, outside issue commercial. Um, so anyway, so that's what I wanted. And um, I sponsor people like that. And lo and behold, those people often did not get or stay abstinent because I was trying to be a therapist. We have no opinion on therapy. Therapy, you know, is an outside help that we are totally allowed to seek. And, you know, I have sought some help, and it was awesome, irrelevant. What I did not give my sponsee was the steps and a relationship, like, to God. I had a lot of opinions, and I was a listener and all this stuff, which didn't actually wasn't working the 12 steps. So now when I work with sponsees, I make it really clear we're not going to be besties. Um, I pretty much only want to talk to them when it has something to do with working the steps. Um, you know, and that's the way my sponsor worked to me. Like anytime I started saying like, but, you know, what do I do about this situation? He was like, um, I don't know. Those are lady things. Um, why don't you talk to God? And then, he, or he like, let's now let's read the steps. So, you know, I, what I learned was that I don't have to know anything. I don't have to be wise. All I get to do is lay a spiritual toolkit at someone's feet, which is, this is what I did. This is how many meetings I went to. Um, I can't tell you how much you have to do. Um, all I can tell you is what I did and, and what I believe is the reason I'm now abstinent. So. Okay, so the question, paraphrasing, is um, how did my life change in terms of how did it look on the outside then to now, and then also same with relationships. Um, I would say on the outside it all looked very promising, like I was a, food was really helpful. Um, food helped me work really hard and have very little fear, so I did incredibly well in school. Um, I won awards, I got to go to good schools, like all shiny, shiny, happy, happy, like everything looked great. Um, I had never really had a romantic relationship. I kind of had some fake ones that were like two weeks long and I didn't really know what to do. And you're, I was like, what am I supposed to do with this relationship? I don't quite understand how this is supposed to work. And same with friendships where it was like, I was a great listener because I was like a sociopath. I was like, you people have feelings. They are fascinating to me. Let me hear them, you know? Um, but I didn't, I definitely you know, I, I look back now and it was so much pride and feeling like um, if I had any feelings, I, I didn't feel safe communicating them to anyone. And even in recovery for a lot of years, like I could tell you about things being bad once I fixed them and had it all under control again. Like, oh, here's the tale of the pain I used to be in, but now it's all fine again. Like, the actually being with another person while I'm suffering, while I don't know what's going on, while I'm a mess. Like, that I had no idea how to do, and I didn't know why you'd want to do it, and it seemed like you really probably shouldn't do it because it was a bad idea. So now in recovery, it's like, 
I'm a disaster in front of people, which, you know, outsides, insides, like, the good news is my outsides and insides match now. So um, when I feel like I have no idea what I'm doing, I am a wreck, and people know it. I'm like, <laughs> I'm just a disaster, um, which is less glamorous, one might say, um, but it's also a very important step, I feel like, on this process of unifying, like, my insides, my outsides, my emotional, physical, spiritual, my mental, they need to be one being, and they were so many different divided beings and now it's like okay I look terrible and that's going to have to be okay um, and then I find that when I'm allowed to look terrible that people can help me which is again a shocking and terrifying concept um, like oh I'm in pain if someone hugs me I feel better but they would never hug me because they didn't know I was in pain so um, yeah, I mean, I think that's the biggest thing. Um, and, I mean, that's both relationships and now how things look. Um, my life looks, depending on who you talk to, it's either awesome or a complete disaster. Um, you know, <laughs> my parents might think it's a complete disaster. I might think it's awesome. Um, so it just depends on your point of view. Uh, I mean, there are definitely things that I, I am doing now that um, I think are exciting and that I think that I believe in, like my actions and my beliefs are, are even more in line. They were always in line, but they're even more in line now. Um, I'm more comfortable in my own skin and being who I am publicly, um, worse than all, as one says. So, for whatever that's worth. Thank you for your share. Um, you talked about moderation in your food. Um, at what point in your uh, recovery did you start to notice the moderation? Um, the question is about moderation with my food and um, at what point did I notice it and has it been consistently balanced through my recovery? Um, in, in the beginning, um, in the beginning it went to immoderate, which for me, and again, just my story, for me I had to be immoderate with food for a while in that first year of non-abstinence to get off the diet. Um, you know, I look back and that first year was all about giving up compulsive dieting, giving up compulsive exercise, basically surrendering control and being left with the wreckage of my actions. Um, so it was very immoderate in the beginning. Um, and it was terrifying because I was like, I don't know if it's ever going to be okay again. Um, but then somehow there was an inner wisdom that was like, stay the course, just stay the course. And, you know, that's the God thing. It's like there's a quiet voice that's like this may be no one else's plan of eating. Um, this may not be your sponsor's plan of eating. Stay the course because this is your path. And that's what I love about OA. Everyone gets their own path. Everyone gets to have things that trigger them, things that don't. Like their food behaviors. Like I don't look at billboards about diets or surgery or any of that anymore. I don't go to sections of stores that address that. I don't look at books or magazines or radio ads. If a radio ad comes on for a diet thing, I change the channel because there are some things I no longer get to do. Um, that's, those are some of those things. So it's not that my abstinence doesn't have any, like, absolute no's, because it definitely does. It's just that for me, those absolute no's um, are more behavioral than food-related. But for me, the moderation was about um, it had to come from, from my physical body. So if my stomach growled, I was hungry. If it didn't growl, I wasn't, period, which meant that in early abstinence, Sometimes, and breakfast was always a gimme. So I would eat breakfast, and then my stomach would not growl again for the rest of the day. 
And if I wanted to be abstinent, I wouldn't eat again until the next morning, which was terrifying. And I felt like I was never, I was like, I'm never going to get to eat again. I'm never going to get to eat again. And then at some point, like as the recovery increased, um, and that plan for the record would not work for everyone. So not everyone should rush out and try it. But for me, it was again, like the still quiet voice was like, this is your path. And what started happening is the willingness came to have like a more normal sized breakfast. And then this miracle happened with like some quantity of hours later, my stomach would growl. I'm like, oh, so I guess my body needs fuel, and I'd put fuel in, and then maybe it would happen again, and then I'd put fuel in. But for me, I always had a reason to eat, and I could definitely, for me, binge on three meals a day. I did. You know, that was one of my first plans of eating, and I I just binged three times a day. Um, So for me, what had to happen was I had to get in touch with my physical form and what it was telling me in terms of what this physical being actually needed in terms of energy. Um, And that changes from day to day for me. Um, You know, today, um, yeah, it's pretty much pretty much moderate. I mean, there are definitely times when I'm like, wow, I'm eating a lot of one food category. Um, And usually it's time related more than anything else. I'm like, oh, I'm not taking the time to take care of this physical form I was given. Um, Maybe that should change, you know, and then I'll have to do whatever has to happen, call people, whatever the programming stuff is, to be willing to put the time and effort into actually taking better care of my body. Um, sometimes I'll just get super into a food and inevitably I'll go through it and then I'm like, wow, I hate that food now. It's super boring and I never want to see it again. So, you know, that's part of my cycle, um, but it's all within the confines of my abstinence, which is, is your stomach growling? Are you hungry? If not, then it's not for you. Keep it. Put it in the fridge. Eat it later. We'll go buy. I promise you, we'll go buy one later. That's a huge thing too. Like no lies to myself. Like you can have one of these later. You can have one every day for the rest of your life. But um, when you're hungry, when your body is requesting fuel, not at any other time. So. Hmm? I think I think I am done. That is all the time we have. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you after.